Now it's time to talk about the 10th anniversary of the financial crisis. The New York Times ran a special section on the anniversary on Sunday, and they presented 10 findings. Their number one finding was that, quote, the recovery was a disaster all over again. Seems like a great place to start, especially since we're speaking with Harold Meyerson. Of course, he's executive editor of The American Prospect and a regular contributor to the LA Times op-ed page. Harold, welcome. And I wonder if you agreed that the recovery was a disaster all over again. Oh, absolutely, because the recovery intensified something that was going on before the crash and uh, was, was one of the reasons why the crash happened, which is it exacerbated the already yawning gap uh, between income going to capital and income going to labor. And since most Americans get their income from their work, this only meant that we, we had a two-speed recovery, very good for profits and for capital, and barely discernible for labor. And of course, the great paradox, which, uh, you know, if I see one more article on this, I'm going to scream, is uh, unemployment keeps falling and uh, wages, uh, when you factor in the cost of living, are, are still going nowhere. And for economists who only envision uh, the unemployment rate, who envision that as the only uh, thing that's connected to uh, wage levels, uh, this has been very bewildering. Of course, the fact that there are effectively no more unions, the fact that uh, so much of the work now is is done by uh, temp workers and independent contractors and gig workers who have no recourse to uh, bolstering incomes. I mean, all, all of this uh, is just an artifact of a disastrous, really disastrous recovery. Yeah, just a couple of facts here. The Typical middle class, middle class families net worth today is still more than $40,000 below where it was in 2007. That's according to the Federal Reserve. They also broke this down by race and ethnicity. In 2016, net worth among white middle income families was 19% below 2007 adjusted for inflation. Among blacks, it was down 40%, and among Hispanics, 46%. So if we were going to point our fingers at the worst, the worst single thing that happened uh, in the recovery, what would you point to? I would point to the fact that uh, 8 million families lost their homes and that the government, uh, specifically Barack Obama's Treasury Department under the uh, dubious guidance of Timothy Geithner, made it a priority to make the banks whole, which they are very whole, and did effectively nothing uh, for uh, underwater homeowners. Uh, they, they just let them uh, essentially lose their homes, uh, and uh, we are we are dealing with the uh, uh, the outcomes of that today. Uh, that is the single worst uh, decision I think uh, that came out of the uh, Obama administration in its eight years in power. Let us talk now about the political consequences of the fact that the recovery was a disaster all over again. Can we draw a line from the failure of Obama on the 8 million foreclosures and the rise of Donald Trump? Well, we can, although it's not simply the, uh, the foreclosure issue. It's the, uh, the fact that uh, the recovery did not extend to the uh, average American. Uh, and even as unemployment fell, wages stagnated, and the, the, the quality of jobs that were created during 
most of the recovery uh, was not, you know, standard employment as people of your generation and mine conceive it. So yes, I mean, it did two things. It, it drove the Republicans right and it drove the Democrats left. And, and we see that in the increasing tendency uh, on the right to blame stagnation on immigrants, other races. Uh, it, it, it exacerbated, as it has in Europe, white nationalism and racism on the right. And it moved the Democrats to the left. In, in, in 2010, Gallup started polling just in reaction to the crash on um, people's opinions of economic systems. And they found in, as early as 2010 that while 53% of Democrats said that they had a favorable view of, of capitalism, an equal 53% said they had a favorable view of socialism. Now, when Gallup asked that just a few weeks ago, again, they do it every two years, they found that the percentage of Democrats who have a favorable view of socialism has risen to 57%, and the percentage of those who have a favorable, favorable view of capitalism shrank to 47%. So really, this has moved uh, the center-left more to the left, and the center-right more into a uh, racist nationalist fury. And to look specifically at voting, you and I have talked many times about the Obama Democrats who switched to Trump. 538.com, Nate Silver's uh, website, has pointed out there are 34 congressional districts that voted for Trump after voting for Obama twice. They tried Yes, we can in 2008. Yes, we can did not help them recover from the financial collapse. So they did really what you're supposed to do in a democracy. In the abstract, you vote for the opposition party. They voted for Trump in the hope that he would be able to help them. These are, from our point of view, the key voters that the Democrats need to win back starting right now in the midterm elections. Right. Well, there are two sets of key voters the Democrats need to uh, win uh, in in this election, and that that uh, demographic is certainly one of them. The other, uh, since that demographic is 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 more more heavily white working class, the other is uh, college educated white suburbanites who may have been Republican in the past, but just can't cotton to Trump, as it were. There, and certainly in terms of what has Trump done. For the folks in those 34 congressional districts, in terms of if you look at the economy, if you look at what's happened to the uh, wages of those folks, more of them are employed, but their incomes haven't budged. On the other hand, the appeal there has been more uh, the appeal of scapegoating immigrants and uh, and people of color. And you know that that's the question. However, you know, all of these groups have subgroups within them, and one of the big subgroups in, uh, in America, indeed the largest subgroup or group in America, is called women. And uh, it, it's clear that across the board, Trump is not performing as well with women as he is with men, and that goes includes white women, and it includes white working class women. So there are a lot of these districts that are very much in play right now. And there's another subgroup that we need to talk about. We've talked about the people who switched from Obama to Trump. We've talked about the Republican suburban upper middle class voters, especially women who may not like Trump anymore. The third group we need to talk about is the people who didn't vote at all in the 2016 election. There were 4 million Obama voters who stayed home in 2016. Those people have to be found and motivated along with all the other millions of Americans who don't vote. Right. Well, there's the whole uh, historic issue that the Democratic base, in particular, does not turn out 
in uh, midterm elections as much as they do in the presidential elections. And you just noted that there was a fall off in uh, the the presidential election of 2016, largely within that base as well. And so a lot of that base is not really necessarily in swing districts if, uh, if they are minority voters. But they will determine a lot of key statewide races. And you, yes. know, you have uh, African-American progressives running for uh, governor in, in Florida, uh, in Georgia, in uh, Maryland. And, and then you have the whole question of turning out the millennial vote. These groups clearly are no fans of Donald Trump, but neither are they vo- uh, groups that have tended to vote at a very high rate in midterm elections. And so a lot of the effort... The Democrats are putting in uh, is is focusing on those constituencies. Uh, the Democratic billionaire Tom Steyer is focusing uh, a, a lot of uh, resources on mobilizing young voters. So that's going on as well. And let's talk about the issues here a little bit. The millions of people who had voted for Obama and then stayed home in 2016. Let's make it clear: they did not want to vote for Hillary. They they did not like Hillary's politics. What kind of issues is it going to take to mobilize those people this fall? Well, some of that was genuinely Hillary, and a lot of that was the way Hillary had been depicted in the media for 30 years. I I think this is shaping up as an election about Trump. And I think uh, ultimately just sheer Trump hatred, which is utterly justifiable, is I think going to be the main motivating factor. Certainly aspects of the economy, certainly uh, his hostility, his racism, uh, his hostility towards minorities, uh, the uh, war on immigrants, on Latinos, on African Americans, is certainly one way to boost turnout in those constituencies. Don't you think the Democrats need to have a positive alternative? They just can't be the anti-Trump party. They need to stand for something different from and better than Trump to offer to the people who lost out in the recovery. Absolutely. And uh, in in defending uh, the Affordable Care Act, which the Republicans are in many ways still going after, in uh, many of them campaigning for Medicare for all, there's now a caucus of House Democrats uh, that exceeds 60 members who are uh, in the Medicare for All caucus and more than 40 Democrats running uh, as challengers in swing districts have pledged to Medicare for All, uh, campaigning on that, on free public college tuition. It's quite remarkable that agree to which previously even centrist Democrats like uh, New York Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand or New Jersey Senator Cory Booker have moved to the left and are in are, are favor of Medicare for All and planful employment and some policies that not only did you not hear in democratic circles at all a few years ago, but in the case of things like planful employment, was only voiced by socialists. And now this stuff is uh, trickling uh, trickling down uh, uh, in, in the best tr- trickle-down tradition to Democrats who wouldn't have touched it uh, five years ago. Harold Meyerson, read him at prospect.org. Harold, thanks very much. Always great to have you on the show. Always a pleasure to be here, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 